Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. November 17. Right here on 3CR. And uh, that's us, Communication Mixdown. This is the show that uses a critical lens to look at the ever-expanding ways we communicate with each other in our interconnected, multimedia platformed world. And each week, we're going to take a look at one topic and unpack the who, the what, the where, and the how of particular media events, messages, trends, and technologies, which I guess we all know about. And then we'll try and weigh up, if we can, the impacts and effects and consequences of these communication. We're calling them communication events, but it's more than that. It's messages, trends, technologies, and so on. So where do we start? Well, cast your mind back a year ago. The climate summit in Paris, COP21, came together and nearly 200 countries signed on to confront global climate change. Right now, there's a follow-up conference in Morocco. But Australia, unfortunately, is still dragging its feet to the table and... Even more unfortunately, the Adani coal mine, the biggest mine in the world, if it goes ahead, has just been given fast-track approval by the Queensland government. Communication Mixdown decided to find out why. This week it was announced that 2016 is set to be the world's hottest year on record. And last week, we witnessed the election of Donald Trump, who says that climate change is a plot by the Chinese to cobble the U.S. in terms of its environmental regulations and crush its economy. Simon Torok is a specialist in science communication. He works around distilling and summarizing technical information for non-scientific audiences. And in the face of these recent momentous developments, he's been grappling with ways to communicate the climate crisis that makes ordinary people sit up, take notice, and hopefully take action. Thanks for being with us, Simon. Thanks very much for having me here, John. Your recent work is focusing on communicating the connection between extreme weather events and climate change. And we've seen lots of these in Australia over the past few years. Just to give us some context, what's been happening in the area in terms of scientific work? Well, as you mentioned, it is shaping up to be the the warmest year on record globally. And the influence of 
human activities on those global temperatures and other aspects of the climate have been known about for a long time. And we've been able to talk about those links between human activities and, and global warming and the changes to the climate for, for some time. That is something that all scientists, pretty much um, all climate scientists are on the same page about. Now, where things become tricky is when we talk about the human attribution of extremes in the weather and climate. So we, we tend to experience changes in the climate through extreme weather. So we have a, you know, a cyclone or a severe storm, uh, some sort of storm surge at the coast to, to cause flooding. And often the media asks the question, has that been caused by climate change? And up until recently, scientists were, could feel confident saying, well, we'd expect to see more of these sorts of events due to human-induced climate change, but we can't pin the blame on this specific event yet. Now, the science has developed and the computing power has developed to the extent where we can now look at individual climatic extremes, heat waves, droughts, severe storms, and talk about whether those would have occurred if we hadn't seen human emissions of, uh, of greenhouse gases. And we can now say, well, that, the, the, the odds of that extreme event happening wouldn't have happened if we didn't have humans emitting carbon dioxide whereas the chances of it happening due to human activities is very high, 80 90%. Part of your argument, is, as I understand it, is that extreme weather conditions, as you said, are much more you can attribute them to specific things to do with climate change. That's not being communicated with ordinary people in a way that allows them to make sense of things. That's right. There's various reasons for that. As, as I mentioned, it's, it's fairly recently, the last few years, that the science has been able to do that. So some commentators in, in the media and, and out in, in the general public aren't aware of the, the developments in the science. There's also, obviously, political aspects and, uh, and ideology that, that uh, is, needs to be factored in in communicating the, these changes in climate because our response to those changes uh, it often involves decisions that, uh, that come down to politics. So, of course, climate has always changed. In Australia, we're renowned to have a climate of, of droughts and flooding rains. But what we're experiencing now is more droughts and more flooding rains. And we can look at individual floods and droughts and heat waves, as I mentioned, and now model those with computer modelling, basically run a computer model many, many times over and over, do it once with human activities um, factored into the modelling, then do it without human activities involved, and we can then compare those sorts of model runs and come up with the probability of human activities influencing those extreme events. And scientists now are confident in saying that a specific heat wave or flooding event has been due to climate change, to human activities leading to climate change. And you're basically saying, I mean, I, maybe I'm simplifying the argument and I'm simplifying it for myself as well, that those sorts of connections are not being communicated in a way that ordinary people can actually understand. They're being obfuscated by, say, political ideologies, by media commentators, and those kinds of, I suppose, inter intervening factors. The, the problem really comes down to the communication of that. So uh, when we're talking about extreme events in the media, we need to look at, uh, has the science been done? We can't jump to blame human activities for every weather event that occurs, mm -hmm. but scientists now can look at those events, model them with uh, complicated simulations of the climate system and say what the causes of those extreme events are. Sometimes it can take days, weeks um, to do those studies, but we can do them a lot faster now than we could 10 or so years ago. I guess the mythological trope, as it were, of, of Australia is it is a sunburnt country, 
flooding rains, windswept plains. And sometimes you hear people saying it, even back as Tony Abbott used to say, uh, it's always been like that. And how do you how do you overcome that? In fact, one of the things you mentioned in your uh, in I'm talking about an article that you 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 wrote with some other people in the conversation. You've actually cited a couple of studies that were done in Australia, which very specifically said these extreme conditions are related to climate variables. It was really not looking at, uh, it wasn't a scientific study on extremes, it was more a look at the communication of where the science is at. And yet there have been studies done um, on recent heat waves in Australia to look at what are the causes of, of the heat waves. And, and of course there are both natural and human contributions to, to any weather event, but we now can say, scientists doing these studies now can say, this event is very unlikely to have occurred if it weren't for the human activities. In other words, human activities uh, are very likely to have caused a particular extreme weather event like a heat wave. Let's just go a little bit further, and again, referring to your article, and I'm hoping we're going to have a, a website where we can put up your reference to your paper. But in that paper, you say the scientists are able to communicate with each other. It's a little bit more difficult to uh, communicate with people who are, have a non-scientific background. You make mention of four guidelines that would help in that communication. Can you go, go through those with us? So the advice we uh, we talk about in the paper is is focusing on what we we do know. So uh, so starting off by by explaining that the science that we do know, we are very confident in in um, talking about human attribution of, of global changes, global temperatures, regional changes in in temperature and rainfall. So we should be sure that we talk about those things that scientists, climate scientists around the world are very sure of. Uh, so focusing on what we do know uh, without worrying too much about doing things that scientists tend to do, and that is talk about what we don't know and the caveats to what we do know, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of certainty around the things that we, we do know. That, that word itself, certainty, is another thing that we flag in our paper. Uh, the use of the word uncertainty in science tends to relate to the range of possible futures that uh, that climate models project for us to make decisions about the future. Now, that range of possibilities tends to be referred to as the, the scientific uncertainty. But in plain English, the word uncertainty means, well, we still don't know. And that's not at all the case when it comes to climate science. There's a lot that we do know about and that there is a lot of confidence in, a lot of certainty in. There's other sort of standard things in, uh, about communication that we talk about in this paper, things like using metaphors to, uh, to help illustrate complex science concepts. Coming up with metaphors to explain some of the complicated science that, that scientists are doing is, uh, is important as well. This was something that you were, you were in the article you mentioned is using phrases which people, I mean, these are common phrases that people use, things like loading the dice towards basically rolls towards more extreme events, stacking the deck, those kinds of phrases allows you to kind of explain things in, I guess you could call it, you know, non-scientific kinds of ways of talking. Yeah, and that, that they're a good couple of, of examples to talk about uh, how the atmosphere works. Because, of course, a, an extreme event occurs in an atmosphere that is now being changed by human activity. So a way we can describe that is that when we have a an extreme weather event, whether that happened or not, it obviously was, was due to a lot of natural occurrences, but what human activities has done is is tune the atmosphere to be more in favour of having a heat wave or an extreme weather event. And that's why we suggest a couple of things about you know loading the dice or, or uh, having a weighted coin that's going to come up mm -hmm. heads mm -hmm. in a row over and over again um, yes. because of 
the weighting that uh, human activities has given to the, the atmosphere. The other thing that, sorry, the other thing that I thought was an interesting, uh, also interesting guideline is to, you've suggested that y- you should try and avoid a language which suggests a kind of hopelessness. Yeah, I think it's really important that uh, that we do look at this as a as, uh, something that needs to be managed. It's about managing risks and, and taking action to prepare for the changes. And that's one of the reasons we think that we, we need to be clearer about the causes of extreme events is so that we can prepare for and adapt to the changes that we're already seeing and that we're going to see a lot more of in the future. Uh, if we know what's causing them and that humans are contributing to the increased number of, of storms and so on, then on the one hand we can do more to reduce the problem by, by uh, thinking about where our energy comes from and, and making other changes in behaviour. But importantly, we also need to adapt to those changes knowing that we're likely to see more of them due to the human influence. I want to finish our, our conversation with a, a curly one. This has been called, and this is go, goes back to Donald Trump, it's been called the post-truth era. And I'm sure you've been contemplating this as well. And some people say this is one of the reasons why Trump was so successful, that he could say stuff that was absolutely a lie. In fact, somebody in the United States, some some fact-checking organization said that 70% of what he was talking about was actually a lie. Even if you make the claims that science knows about these things, how do you overcome in the communication getting over that post-truth perspective. Yeah, I, I guess if we knew the answer to that, we'd be a lot further down the track in doing something about climate change. Uh, but perhaps what I can uh, offer is that the, uh, people need to question where information is coming from uh, and and whether that, that information has been tested and challenged before it's been published. Is it someone's opinion or is it based on facts that have been collected and measured, uh, computer simulations based on basically, you know, standard theories of, of, of and, and how physics and the world works, um, you know, or is it something that you've heard down the pub? So uh, so questioning where information comes from is, is really important. Um, I guess there has been a real erosion of trust in expert opinion uh, with with perhaps a lot of people not understanding what that expert opinion is is based on. As I said, it's it's based on facts and and research and people who've whole teams of people who've dedicated their lives to understanding things. So that has to be given more weight than uh, than a, an opinion uh, based on you know someone who's had half an hour with an Excel spreadsheet um, because they uh, they've had a particular idea. There's there's obviously you know scepticism and uh, and and challenge is is part of science and that's important but what we're seeing is an erosion of that uh, trust in, in expert opinion and and uh, I guess a, a misappropriation of that term skepticism and 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 seeing what's really more like anti-science and uh, and anti-information having an impact that was Simon Torak and uh, as you probably re- re- um, realized that was a pre-recorded interview that I did with Simon Yesterday, he's a specialist in science communication, and he's part of a research team that's been publishing information, publishing studies on the way that communication needs to be better mobilized to make connections between extreme weather events and climate change. And as I said in the interview, if we can get our website organized, we'll put the information up there for you to check out. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. 
That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Wonders of the West, the Setting Sun Short Film Festival, is calling for entries for its fabulous 2017 festival until the end of January. We're the largest short film festival in the West. We showcase the best films from the West and beyond. This year we're giving away over $5,000 of prizes, including cash. All films screen at the fabulous Art Deco Sun Theatre in Yarraville. If you've got a film no more than 12 minutes long, enter now. All genres accepted. Check out our website, settingsun.com.au, a 3CR supporter. This is Communication Mixdown, and we're discussing how climate change, and some people are calling it a climate crisis, needs to be effectively communicated so that what used to be call, called consciousness raising starts to happen on a massive scale, especially in Australia. Mick Eight is a journalist and a climate action campaigner, and he may have some useful and practical approaches that we need. And that involves our tax dollars. Welcome to Communication Mixdown, Mick. Thank you very much. And you're currently running a campaign calling on the ABC and SBS to use your words on the website to break the silence on the climate emergency. Can you explain what you mean by this? Yeah, um, campaign and campaign, it's not so much of a campaign. We've written a letter, basically. Uh, And we think it's a letter that makes a lot of common sense. And we would like to send that letter to the directors of ABC and SBS. And then before we send it, we thought maybe others would like to sign this letter as well. You know, so we send it together. It would make it more of an impact, maybe, you know, arriving at the desk of these two directors. uh, If if it was signed by a thousand people instead of just two, me and Tony, um, we've been running a radio show now 150 hours of talking about sustainability and climate change and more and more about climate change this year. I think because of what's happening, you know, with the graphs, the science, and, and, you know, when you open the news, open ABC, open SBS and, and at the news hour, and you will see, you know, pictures of flooding, pictures of uh, catastrophes, extreme weather events every day, actually. There was so, a couple of weeks ago, there was, it, was, it would be every day you would open the news. There would, the first thing that would be on would be something about uh, tornadoes or, or, or houses destroyed, uh, even uh, hundreds of people killed. That was in Haiti and so on. We had our, you know, South Australia. Uh, then we had a lot here in Victoria with, with uh, electricity, blackouts, all these things happening. And then at the same time, watching ABC, watching SBS, and waiting, waiting, waiting for, you know, a bit of analysis, a bit of explanation, a bit of talking about what's going on behind, what's causing all this, and uh, what are the trends in the, you know, the bigger perspective, and how could we explain, blah, blah, blah. And most of all, most important, solutions, talking about what we need to do. Because I think a lot of people have understood that we have a problem, and mm. that we need to get going with, you know, the big solutions to this. So what, uh, so, so, so what we did at that time was just to say, it's not good enough what ABC and SBS is doing. Tony and I, we're doing our little community radio show volunteeringly every Wednesday. You know, we're just two volunteers. We talk about this. We talk about it, you know, hour after hour after hour. And we, we're quite passionate about it in a way. But why are we not, 
you know, why is there no response from the ABC and SPS when it comes to such an important issue here, which is about, you know, it's a, it's Mick, a public broadcaster. Mick, what would you like to see happening with the ABC and SPS? First of all, that I would like to see them, you know, take it seriously that there are big organizations that could show a bit of leadership in this, in this space. For instance, they could announce publicly and show us how they did it, that they are carbon neutral themselves. It's possible. There are hotels that are doing it. It's, uh, there are lots of organizations, businesses in this country who are already now carbon neutral. So why isn't ABC and SBS the first ones, you know, those that go first and say, we are already carbon neutral and here's how we did it. Mm. We put solar up, we did this, our employees are doing that, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's the first thing that they could, you know, be aware themselves about how which impact they're making on, on the climate. But secondly, why aren't they, for instance, they show the, the weather reports every every day. It's a, fa- a fixed thing in the, in the news. Then you come to the weather, you get a bit of all the terrible things that are happening, you know, 200 kilometer an hour storms and winds and, and floodings mm. and all that. We hear that, yes. But why isn't there after that, before the, uh, you know, the other thing that they also show every uh, day is about the finances. The dollar has gone a bit mm, up, the mm. dollar has gone a bit down, uh, economy is going so and so. And when they talk about economy, they do, they do sometimes show the graphs and they talk about the trends, the long-term trends and all that. We get a bit of in-depth explanation about what's going on. Why isn't it the same with our weather? We need a bit of in-depth explanation about these weather events so we get them in the bigger picture. So what I'm saying is that there could be similar to that we had weather and economy, you know, with the uh, Exchange, exchange rates and all that happening in the end of the show. There could be a, just a two-minute yes. segment, which every day had, here's the climate solutions that we have found for you today. Right. You know, a bit of inspiration, yes. a bit of, here are some people who are doing something fantastic. Have you seen this invention? They made it themselves. Yes. And, and here's some others who are doing that, and here's an organization which is upfront with this, and here's some success there. And what are they doing in Sweden? Let's have a little you know, glimpse out in the world and see successful stories from around the world where some, people take the problem seriously. Some people, uh, I ask, ask you this question, you're, you're working, uh, your cam- well, your letter and your campaign is focusing on SBS and the ABC. Some people might say that the public broadcasters, the ones you're talking about, don't do a bad job in terms of explaining climate change and addressing it. You obviously don't think so, but some people might argue that they do a reasonable job, and you should be focusing on the on the commercial media. Yeah, you know, everything is relative, and and it's true if you compare them to uh, the Australian or something, which is complete full of misinformation, then ABC is a lot better. No question about that. There's, there are good programs here and there, but there's nothing regular. There's nowhere where they have taken a stand and said, this is how we do this. They don't have, you know, if we're talking about that climate change is actually an emergency, then it's, it's a, it's an, you need to step up then. You need to have something like a climate war room uh, in the organization where people are specialized in talking, you know, and having straight lines to the scientists and they have everything lined up so mm. that they can give the best coverage of this in the country. You know, Mick, th- I don't, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I want to just throw this, this out to you. I don't know whether you saw the announcement today, but uh, the ABC and SBS are, are changing their format and their programming, and SBS is now pairing up with something called Vice Media, which is a U.S. SBS2 is pairing up with Vice Media. It's a U.S. company, and it was announced today that Radio National is turning a little bit more, I suppose you could say, to right-leaning broadcasters. Um, What do you think the impact of that's going to have on on something like what you're proposing? 
I wouldn't say that I have enough knowledge to really t tell you about that. What I can see is that I see already a trend since we have worked with this letter, this petition, if you may call it, um, in about a month now. I, I feel already when I talk to people, uh, you know, uh, not interviewing them, but just talking off the record with people who work in the ABC yes. who, and who work uh, with SPS, there's a lot of fear. Uh, programs are being closed, people are getting fired. The, it, it, I don't know what's going on, and uh, mm. I don't know if, how much I should tell you, but no, no. This way. <laughs> I'm, hearing, I'm hearing things from, from yep. the inside of these two organizations yes. that show me uh, that it's not okay what's going on, to be honest. We yes. see already a government which is basically run by the fossil fuel industry. You know, uh, there's mm -hmm. so much influence because of the money. It's such a, an influential industry because it's got all that money. And, you know, that's a long story. We, you probably t talked about it in, in your show as well. Uh, but what we wouldn't want to see is that the same thing is happening with ABC and SBS. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and I'm not saying it's happening, but I certainly get that feeling that, you know, uh, there's some influential people high up, uh, yes. who, uh, let's put it this way, don't think that climate change is happening. Well, look, let me just finish our discussion with a, a question which I asked our first guest as well. Now, this has got to do with a little bit with Donald Trump and his election. This has been called the post-truth era. And uh, one of the reasons people have suggested that Trump was successful was that it, basically he could say anything and, and it would be accepted. He could create fabrications and it wouldn't even matter. Now, what you're, I guess, saying, and our guest before was saying as well, is that what's important is to have really well well constructed information for people to take on board. How do you overcome the, the, the this post post truth factor? That is, people don't really even care whether it's true or not. Mm. Have you got a comment on that? Well, it's a very important question because trust. You know, this is really what it's about, and that's why we feel ABC and SBS are the ones to tell the story because we trust them. They have that credibility in the in in, in the population. So, so uh, this is really key to this whole discussion about climate change. Who do we trust? Mm -hmm. So, credibility is incre incredibly important. Uh, in the bigger perspective, I'm not sure. We what we're seeing more and more is that people rely on their own sources. You know, because of Facebook, because of bloggers, you begin to have one or two journalists sometimes that you follow and trust. And then they become your media. You know, some people don't even open their TV. They don't even have a TV anymore because they get everything that they need through the Internet and they get it exactly from those people that they want to get it from. So if that's true, that this is a trend, the more the bigger media becomes unreliable, because I think people are not stupid. They get it. They understand this. The more people will switch over to people who are honest and who are trustable. Tell us where we can get some more information on your letter, that you're, your petition that you're, you're going to submit. Just give us the details. All right. Um, so we have a blog called climatesafety.info. So go to your uh, web browser, write climate safety in one word, and then dot .info. And you'll see the petition right there on the top of that page. You have to click an extra click and so on, but then you'll, you'll get there eventually. First, you'll have to read the letter, and then you'll, there's a place where it says sign here, and then you can sign it. So it's easiest to explain it that way. It's, it's up on, a, um, on GetUp's uh, petition website, actually. 
Right. Uh, that's where we've, we've placed it. That took only five minutes to put it up there. Okay, well, look, all the best. We've got to leave now, Mick, but all the best with your petition. And Thank you, and, and thank you for telling uh, your listeners about it. We were talking there with Mick Out, and uh, he is a journalist and communication... Sorry, uh, he's a communication uh, expert, but he's also a climate activist, and he's running a campaign to get the public broadcasters more engaged in foregrounding and communicating about the climate change crisis. And as you heard, you've got the uh, the details there, and we'll hopefully put them on our website when that happens. This has been Communication Mixdown. I'm John, and we'll be back with you next week.